This podcast is intended to provide general information about various recent developments in employment law and human resources best practices. Nothing in this presentation or in the comments of Ms. Johnson, Ms. Shannon, or any guest should be considered as the rendering of legal or other professional advice, and it is not directed at any specific cases or circumstances. Listeners are responsible for obtaining the necessary advice about their specific situations from their own counsel. These materials are intended for educational and informational purposes only. The presentation and these materials represent the opinions of the participants and not those of their law firms or companies. No part of these materials may be printed, photocopied, or otherwise reproduced, recorded, or stored, or transmitted in any form and by any means, electronic, mechanical, or otherwise, without the prior written permission of today's workplace podcast. Welcome to today's workplace, a podcast created to keep employers current on the latest employment law trends while providing proactive solutions to the everyday issues arising in today's rapidly changing workplace. Is your business prepared for today's workplace? Let's find out with your hosts, Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reed Shannon. During our last episode, we started the conversation with Michael Payne and Philip Berry about how to create and sustain effective diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. We explored the evolution of this concept and integrating equity with diversity and inclusion. Our conversation continues as we look at the best practices with respect to hiring diverse talent, fostering a sense of belonging, and what effective training looks like. Mike and Philip, you've given some great guidance about the way you work with organizations and developing DEI programs and strategies. Let's take a deeper dive and talk about specific processes within organizations, starting with hiring. What are some of the best practices that you have seen in terms of increasing diversity when you're hiring? You know, Barbara, I wanna wanna take from the question that you have and, and, and then move it to hiring because you said, let's take a deeper dive and look at this. At look at this. Well, that's what we need to do with hiring. And, and I look at this like fishing. I'm, I'm not a great fishing, <laughs> fisherman, right? However, the one thing I do know is that if you happen to have a net or something in certain waters and you're not getting the fish that you want, then you have to look at other waters. You have to look at other ways of attracting the fish uh, to you. You know, there are a number of other things. I wish I had better analogies, but uh, the the most important analogy is, is that organizations need to not go to the same organizations that they have always gone to in order to recruit because, because of affinity bias. And affinity bias plays in here because individuals feel comfortable in bringing people into the organization who look like them. We've had success with them. Business people are low risk type of people. And so they they say, well, look, I I know that uh, people, I I went to this college. And so I know if I can go back to this college because of what they're learning, uh, I'm going to be able to uh, get the type of applicants that I want. And, and that's where the affinity bias comes in. So, so we have to have 
bias that looks into other waters. And that, that means that we have to expand, for example, the places that we're looking for individuals. So instead of going to the same colleges, look at other colleges, utilize the, uh, the Hispanic and Black HBCUs and the Hispanic uh, or based organizations also. Um, go also to organizations where if you want to get more women in the organization, so there are a few colleges uh, around the country where you have individuals who have women who have great quantitative skills and, and, and they have great scientific skills and understanding. So, so I hear organizations saying, well, we can't get women into those organizations. Yes, you can. You, you aren't looking in the right places. And so it means that we need to maybe have a better relationship that we develop with those organizations and associations where diversity is, where, because we're not fishing in those waters. We need to fish in another water to do that. The other thing that we need to do is to tie this whole issue of talent. I'm working with a high tech company right now. And so again, as, as Mike was saying, um, unfortunately companies are so narrow focused. And so they wanna get a person right in for this job right now. Well, maybe what you do is that you have what I call a, a two-step uh, type of a, a hiring process where in, in the, you hire a person in who has maybe like if they're say if they're seven different competencies that you need for this particular job. Well, maybe a, a person can have four of the type of competencies that will enable them to do the job. And then what we do is we develop and we train the person, we, ex we, we expose them so that way they can get the other competencies while they're in here. And so maybe we have like a two tier type of a process where we can accelerate that person. And in fact, younger people, millennials want to be moved. They wanna be on the move. You know, and, and so if we can hire a person and show them how, okay, learn these particular things, here's the carrot, you know, and if you learn this, we're going to progress you from the standpoint of your salary and also your position. So we can move them quickly. And this is especially relevant in organizations where you only have a few different levels where you can move people. It doesn't have like 10 tiers you know, to promote people up. Maybe it's like four tiers. Well, there's a way to operate within that. So, so you need to look at that whole mix uh, in terms of the type of position that you're gonna be putting a person in. And also what are some waters that we can, uh, and, and, and the last thing I'll say on this, and uh, there's some other text pieces to this, but you, we need to be able to go back and identify whether there's, uh, and, and this even gets into the legal area, what are the competencies that we are seeking for this particular job? You know, and are they really based on the, uh, the, the type of work that we want? Or do we have competencies that, that could be developed internally? Because most companies, when I was at, when I was at Proctor, uh, we, we used to hire individuals right out of college and build them, grow them up in the organization. Well, we need to be able to continue to do that type of thing also. And so, uh, so I think that's what's important. Certainly good advice with respect to hiring. What can companies do to give employees a greater sense of belonging and feeling included? We talked about inclusion. Another term that's used frequently today is belonging. So what what can be done um, from in organizations to increase inclusion and belonging? A couple of things. One of the things that uh, just recently um, 
when um, you were talking about, uh, you know, I had recently gone through this Cornell um, uh, program. And one of the things that they had us do is do some research on companies that really were uh, kind of best practices in terms of inclusion. And in today's environment, um, social media plays a, a huge role in organization. And it goes from their website to whether it's LinkedIn, uh, whether it's uh, uh, you know Instagram, even TikTok or whatever. And so, what co the companies that really make people feel included is you visually have people tell their stories, and you and you highlight uh, people of difference within the organization. So that someone looking in from the outside can really can really feel comfortable that this is an organization that I'd like to be affiliated with because somebody like me that looks like me uh, mm -hmm. is highlighted. Um, I work with an organization, uh, and this this is a major uh, health sciences company that's doing cl clinical trials, and obviously in today's environment, that's very important. And uh, so I was working with them doing some executive coaching. So they had me also spend some time with their worldwide HR group. And they were, they were struggling with bringing people uh, of difference into the organization. So I started reviewing and they had a beautiful website that uh, showed all these stories internationally, but not one of those stories uh, was focused on anybody that, uh, that they could bring into the organization that looked like any of us. And, um, and, their, and their HR group uh, was, was blind to that fact. And so um, uh, I began to work with them in and to totally rethink how their visual approach uh, to, this, to their company was. Because you do, to, in today's environment, you really have to have a visual image that shows what inclusion looks like in your organization or you're gonna miss the boat. Let me ask you this about, about um, diversity, equity and inclusion. Lately, as we've, you know, more organizations have been trying to ramp up their efforts and have engaged in training. Uh, some of the training has come under attack, um, you know, including the Trump administration banning DNI training for federal contractors last fall, um, and it's based on a premise that the training shamed uh, white participants. And then, you know, very recently here we saw where Coca-Cola experienced a major hit uh, to its brand when it recommended training that told participants to quote unquote be less white. Um, so, how have employers navigated? this whole debate over, you know, what's effective or what we should be communicating and what we should be training employees on? I, I think that um, the, uh, it goes back to the whole piece around culture and values. And, and in culture and values, we want to not have training in place that is going to embarrass people or cancel people out. We need to not have cancel culture. Uh, we need to not have, matter of fact, the way I approach a topic like unconscious bias training, I don't approach it from the race standpoint first. I approach it from the fact, from the, the science. And the science states that all of us have 
a brain, and we have a conscious realm and an unconscious realm where our thoughts occur. And so because of that, all of us need to better understand what is how the unconscious is impacting what's going on, our conscious, our unconscious thoughts based upon our background, based on what we've learned, based on what we've grown up in our associations. How does that impact the decisions and behaviors that we're making right now? So I, I don't believe that it should be um, a place where we are going to put individuals down because, because they happen to uh, be of uh, white, you know, for example, and, and was a certain organization. You know, that, that reminds me of training that used to be, there's a training ethic that used to be in place uh, a number of years ago when this whole movement started out, you know, where we, we had individuals uh, who would put people down, well, you know, we're black and therefore because of that, you know, we, uh, we want to have a, a system in place that helps whites understand better what they should be doing. Well, what all of us need to understand is, is how we can improve the organization. All of us need to understand how we can work together. All of us need to understand the type of behaviors that are, that are guiding us. So it needs to be more we-based as opposed to we-they. You know, if you have that type of we-they type of a system in place, it's just gonna, it's, it, it's not going to work. It didn't work in the early 70s when organizations were doing that. And now there are a number of new people who are new in this area, you know, who haven't experienced uh, what, what happened when you approach things in a negative way like that. No, just building on what uh, Philip has talked about, he's, 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 he's right on there. And what, what, what I, when I work with organizations, especially when you're talking about unconscious bias and it, uh, uh, it, you do have to take a, a, a we approach because what I try to do is, is get individuals to get to what I call that aha moment when something hits them regardless of who they are, that, that turns that light bulb on about understanding, oh, uh, it, it, you know, I'm, I have issues just as much as anybody else because unconsciously I've programmed in to how somebody should be or act. And, uh, and it, hit, it hits me that that's, uh, you know, that's part of my bias. And so you get away from, uh, it's not that you, and, you know, and some people are going to get uncomfortable anyway, because it's some of these topics are, will make folks uncomfortable. And what I go in, I tell people that for true learning, sometimes you've got to lean into your discomfort in order to learn. And, uh, but, but I don't, you know, I'm not an advocate of, uh, of uh, developing a course that's going to beat somebody over the head. And as Philip talked about, you have you have practitioners who have taken things out of context because of their inexperience with this whole issue and, and it's caused some backlash in some cases. So you talked about um, some of the aspects of training that you don't embrace, the idea of the we versus they. And you've talked a little bit about unconscious bias training Describe for us um, the effect, effect, what effective training looks like in the context of an overall strategy, because we've also said that training alone isn't enough. But what kind of training should employers consider as part of their overall DEI strategy, and what is it going to look like? So, so the way I would uh, 
I think we have a we need to have a different question here. And the question should be not how we make training more effective, but what are the other uh, components that we need to be have in place so that way we can be sure that this effort is going to be effective. And, and that's how we begin to move individuals into understanding once we put in place some type of, of training, then we need to have individuals engage in action planning. We need to have groups that are going to work on the policies that we need to have in place. We need to have ways of reinforcing through performance management, through coaching and feedback, the type of behaviors that we want to have in place on an ongoing basis. Um, we, we also need to have a constant relook where we look at what are some of the actions that we said that we wanted to put in place and then Let's evaluate our progress over a period of time. So, so I feel that our approach uh, needs to be like a comprehensive one, you know, that, that looks at all of those different things. So this way we're not caught into just having people feel, well, if we put this training in place, then, they, then, then they, they've done it. You know, and oh. matter of fact, if we think, I'm gonna talk about like briefly, there was a big issue that organizations had around cost control. There also was a big issue that people had around safety. The way we were able in organizations to deal with those two issues you know, is that one, we had policies in place. We had groups that were constantly looking at those issues. We had metrics in place so that way we can assess the type of, of behaviors and practices that we wanted to have in place. And we were able to have feedback and coaching so that way when people weren't adhering to those practices and behaviors, then we, we were able to course correct. It's this, that's the same thing that needs to happen in the DE&I area. Yeah, what, you know, building on what, what Philip has said, what I think organizations that are effective, you know, uh, they have a, a set of organizational values. And as opposed to, you know, kind of segregating the DNI training over here, whatever the organization puts together as far as uh, training that, uh, that impacts diversity, equity, inclusion, it's part of their overall educational learning process. And so it doesn't look like it's a standalone. It's, it's, it's part of the learning that individuals go through to enhance so that they really embrace the organizational values of the organization uh, that, they work, that they're working in or whatever institution they're working in. So it's not something that's a standalone. Because, you know, when you got standalone training, as, as Philip was talking about, and when, you know, business gets bad, oh, you know, we'll just cut that out. Well, you know, you, if you weave it into the fabric of your overall organizational learning and your outcome is to uh, get every individual in the organization uh, focusing on the values and the values of DNI, DEI are part of that. Uh, then it doesn't become like a separate entity. And I think that's what's most effective. So, so say like when, um, just building on that, there, there, to me, there is a, a whole spectrum of, of inclusion that we can look at in organizations. And that spectrum of inclusion starts out with what happens at you know, the, the, the secondary stages where say you're doing a separate type of a core. Let's, let's use 
the courses that we were talking about. Instead of just having a diversity course, if you're at a higher level in the organization, any course that is taught, whether it's communications, you know, whether it's uh, investor relations, you are looking at the aspects of diversity that are included in that. And it's not a diversity course, it's in every single course that a person is, get, is getting. Right. You know, right. So if you're a salesperson, you wanna teach that salesperson how they should begin to think and relate with the customers and understanding the customer a little bit better. You know, so it's, it's going the next step from emotional intelligence to increasing what I call your cultural quotient. I mean, because EQ is good, you know, unfortunately we hire people just based on IQ, you know, and then we don't take them through the next cues, you know, so we're at, so we need to move them along the spectrum so that way they understand how to relate with what they're doing to all the different aspects of what they're involved in. So what, so when Mike was talking about, well, you know, you, you have a person, I'm going to have uh, an organization make uh, a a presentation to my investor relations group. Well, is it only the white men who are there? What about having some females in there? What about having Latinos in there? What about who, who is in the group representing the company to show what the values of the company are in terms of who you are and the type of people you want to invest in your organization because you know that's going to make a difference. Yeah. But it's, this, it's the next stages of inclusion, you know, as opposed to thinking about it in the primary stages. We, we still, unfortunately, are in the primary, we're in the Neanderthal range, you know, in terms of how we, we need to move into the 22nd <laughs> century, you know, in terms of how we're integrating this. And it's really inclusive. You know, when Mike is talking about integrating and how is it inclusive in the way we think, the way we behave, and the way we act you know, and the way we relate overall as an organization. Now, now one of the other things that, that we haven't talked about, you, there, you have to uh, also include ways to reinforce the learning. And this mm-hmm. is where in the, you look at your performance management systems, where you start uh, uh, building into those systems, uh, reward and recognition for, as, and it goes from the top down, from the leadership on down, uh, that that actually starts to look at how you reward and reinforce that learning uh, from a diversity standpoint. And, you know, those leaders that, you know, people in organizations, they know who supports those initiatives and those who don't. And so you've got to reward and, and uh, recognize those individuals from a performance standpoint to make sure that it gets reinforced. Because when you don't, uh, if the leadership doesn't uh, reinforce it, then the rest of the organization isn't either. And you've got to measure that. An interesting phenomenon, you know, in terms of this whole piece, like organizations, people are very savvy in, savvy in organizations. So when you talk about having the organization walk the talk, when you promote certain individuals uh, into executive positions and they see, well, what, what was able to, what, what were the behaviors and, and what, what were the things that this person did to get there? They see what you are, you don't have to articulate to them what the values of the company and the culture is. They see it based on what the, the behavior that you are rewarding. And you reward by putting a, a person, you know, who is a Neanderthal, you know, into a certain position. They say, well, hey, it doesn't matter what you say. Uh, I see the type of person that you want driving this organization forward. It sends a huge message. And that, that's why we need to look at these type of, uh, of uh, signals 
that right. in or, you know, there are a number of ways that organizations signal what's important to them and who is important to them and the behaviors that they want to have in place. And that's why when you look at like succession planning, you know, look at what the type of people that you want to have in place and what do they represent? Or how, how, what will people say? Um, what, what's the, what, uh, there's this concept I have called word on the street. What's the word on the street uh, right. about this person? Like yeah. from, from the secretaries and the admin, uh, you know, like the person who, if they do have mail rooms, what is the person in the mail room saying about that person? Because they know what the school they is. They, they, they understand the grapevine understands who people are. People, top people on the top think that people don't know who they are and what the organization is about. You take them aside, they will tell you. Yeah, I think you both have um, just provided us with a wealth of information about, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion and how it really is supposed to be approached and embedded in an organization. This is very, very helpful. And so um, we're, we're coming up on time now, and I'd like to really just get a quick word from both of you um, to tell us what are the top three pieces of sound advice you'd like to give any employers that are revisiting their DE&I initiatives and wanna develop effective and sustainable programs. Well, the top two, three things I would, uh... I guess number one, uh, make sure that uh, it's it's woven into an organization's overall business plan. That's that's that would be number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, uh, to make sure that uh, DEI strategy is values driven, it, that it's part of the organizational uh, values, and uh, and so that people uh, don't look at it as a separate piece. And the third piece was be uh, hard and fast metrics to determine the outcome, where you want to end up at. Those, those would be my three. Yeah, I think those are very good. And certainly I would, I would, I would, I would, I don't differ with, with those at all. The other, the only other piece I would add is uh, that make, make sure that it's, uh, it's woven into the business purpose and, uh, and into the results that they are trying to achieve. So I think that's, that's the one thing. DEI has to be tied into the business mm-hmm. so that everybody can see what's in it for them. Um, two, you, you need to have a way of involving uh, key stakeholders in your, in your process. So it's not just the job of human resources. Don't, don't just have it where it's just a human resource or it's just a diversity person. Uh, who is responsible for the results. The, everybody has a responsibility and to point out everybody's, what, what's in it for everybody and what can everybody do in order to make this occur. And then, and then the third thing is that being, uh, it ties into what Mike said around uh, metrics and that is that to have continuously, I feel that follow-up is next to godliness, that whatever plans that you put in place, that you need to be able to follow up on those, have a way of re-monitoring and measuring uh, what, what you said you were going to do, and then, and then tying that into, uh, into people so that way they can help to uh, support it. So uh, those are the three things I would say. Thank you. Mike and Philip, thank you so much for providing us with valuable information and insight into developing effective DEI programs. This is a critical issue um, and we really appreciate 
the benefit of your insight today. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank, Thank you for the opportunity. Yes, yeah. it was I, great. I echo that. Thank yeah. you. You've been listening to today's Workplace with Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reed Shannon. If you like what you heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future updates and episodes. For more information about today's episode, check out todaysworkplace.com. That's T O D A Y S W O R K P L A C E.com.